Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. Hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you're new here, my name's Braden. I'm the senior leader here at Renew Life Church. And uh, Keith and his wife, Natalie, did such a good job at ministry time. Uh, thanks for that. And uh, they're the campus pastors here. Keith is preaching in the uh, Midland campus today. And so you are stuck with me. So just uh, act like you're not disappointed. But anyway, glad you're here. If you got your Bibles, we're going to jump right in. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Just a little bit of a preview of um, kind of where we're going to go today. Galatians is a letter. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, on one of his missionary journeys was traveling to the region of Galatia, um, introduced, uh, well, led some people to the Lord, basically, and was as a part of his missionary work. And so, uh, as many of you know, most of you know, I'm probably sure, I'm sure probably know, a lot of the the books of the Bible were named after regions and, uh, and letters written to these regions, many of them by Paul, who wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. And so that's what this is. It's a letter to the Galatian churches from the Apostle Paul. And uh, it's, uh, it's a little spicy. We're going to jump right in and read it because it, it, it starts off nice and soft, but it gets a little spicy pretty quick. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So it just starts off just so sweet. Grace, peace be to you. Verse six, attitude changes. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is when he fired up the weed eater. You know, nah, 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 nah. Sorry. Um, verse seven says, not that there is another one, but there are some who, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be a curse, for I am now seeking the approval, or I'm sorry, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So you can see very quickly, Paul's upset, Paul's frustrated. You've got this group of people, he's the one that led them to the Lord, he's the one that preached the message of Jesus to them, both Jew and Gentile. Gentiles, you now have a place in God's house, Jews. You're no, longer, uh, you're, you're no longer accepted by God because of what you do on the outside. You're accepted by God because Jesus paid the price and offered to you a perfect covenant with him, relationship with him, uh, because of not, what you, not because of what you do, but because of what you believe. And so that's what he had preached, and yet it didn't take long before some people came in and began to undermine the message that Paul preached. Uh, what you find here is you've got this, this group of the people who hear this incredible message, are inspired to follow Jesus, Paul leaves, and things don't go the way they thought they were gonna go. Pressure comes, resistance comes. You might even just say trouble. Trouble comes. Anybody in here ever had a moment where you had an incredible encounter with the Lord? You were so just, it was just unbelievable what God was doing in your life for at least a season, but then right on the backside of that came struggle, came pressure, 
came, what the heck was that? Uh, that's what's going on here. Things were not as easy as they thought they were, that maybe they were going to be. I remember when I was um, all through high school, I wanted to be a college athlete so bad. And I, I didn't, I played from, I was from a small school and um, in high school. And so I played all the sports, football, baseball, basketball, ran track. I did all the things. And so it took a while before I really had kind of honed in on what I wanted to play. But it's like a lot of young kids, I wanted to be a pro athlete and I want to go to college and play college athletics first, obviously. And so I, my, that was what I was after. And I, my senior year, I, I, that was all I could think about. I wanted to get a scholarship. I wanted to get a scholarship. And my coach told me, he's like, you're going to get a scholarship. You're going to get a scholarship all the way through high school. No letters, no offers. Uh, I mean, you get invited to a few things. I shouldn't say there were no letters. There were no offer letters. There were letters of interest, so on and so forth. But it just, it wasn't really going the way I thought it was going to go. And uh, actually, all the way through my senior year, I was playing in a summer league between my senior year and start of, of college. And a college coach saw me play at a tournament in Abilene, almost like the movies. He walked out in the parking lot and he's like, you know, I've been watching you for a while, but I saw you play today and I want to offer you a scholarship. And it's like in that moment, there's like this, you know what? It might have started off as a struggle, but this is where the journey of me begins. This is where it all turns around. And uh, it's an interesting thing because in, in high school, especially for college athletes, most people that play college sports, you were like the man in your high school. You were like the, the best player on the team. And well, that's, that's in a lot of ways, that was some of my journey. And so you get this scholarship and you go off to school where everybody was the best player on their team and everybody thinks they're a big deal. And I'll just tell you, what started off is like, this is gonna be the greatest two years of my life. I went to a junior college in Midland. Uh, what started off as this is going to be the best two years of my life quickly turned into anything but. I, uh, the coach forgot to mention this to me when we, he was recruiting me that he was an atheist. And because uh, I don't think that's probably what coaches would probably lead with. It's like, hey, you want to come to school? I'm an atheist. You know? uh, but um, it, was, it was just an interesting, interesting deal. I, I, I mean, everything that could go wrong went wrong for me. I actually... This is no joke. I didn't even tell this story in the first service, but uh, I actually accidentally hospitalized my head coach the day before the first game of the season. And so his first game to get to coach, we were in a practice and I got caught in a rundown and I accidentally, and I swear uh, it was an accident, I accidentally hit him in the face with an elbow um, and hospitalized him. He had to have reconstructive surgery on his face. I don't know why he didn't like me. It was, it was a mystery to me why he didn't like me, but... Um, man, I'll, it just, and that was the start of it. Uh, you know, uh, things just did not go, just did not go well. He was not, uh, those coaches that think that they can, and know that they can motivate players through love and encouragement, he was the opposite of that. And um, for two years, I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable, uh, and I, I was ready to quit. And I was so thankful that my dad, after two years of junior college, said, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, you, you can do this. And so went on to a four-year school and actually had a fairly successful uh, rest of my, my college career. Uh, I, that's my story. I promise you, all of us in this room, we have a version of a story where something we had hoped for, something we had dreamed for, something that we had believed was going to go a certain way, it just didn't go the way that we thought it was going to go. It didn't go... Let me say it a different way. Maybe it wasn't as easy as we thought it was, as going, was going to be. And I honestly think that's probably what was going on here 
with these Galatians, there's this euphoric feeling that oftentimes you get, even coming to church. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It's like you come to church, you encounter the presence of God. Uh, One of the things I love about the worship team is even when I didn't come with an attitude of worship, they did. And so it's like they get me going a little bit. Or maybe maybe it was the message for you that day. You, You didn't feel about, you didn't feel anything, but you went through the worship, presence of God shows up, the teaching, all of these things, and you leave here feeling 10 feet tall and bulletproof, but then you still have to show up and you still have to raise your kids who are acting crazy. You still have to go to work. You still, you still have these things. And so I think we all deal with moments where um, you can be on a high. That's where these Galatians were. They were on a high. They'd heard the gospel of Jesus. Soon as Paul leaves, uh, all of a sudden pressure, all of a sudden difficulty. And Paul's calling them out because they didn't, they didn't last. They gave in. They gave up. They allowed people, some people, the scripture says. In fact, Paul's so mad at this one guy who's trying to convince them to, uh, that they need to get circumcised again, someone who's still trying to practice ancient Judaism. He, he tells him, he's like, this guy that's trying to get you guys to circumcise, get circumcised, I wish he had circumcised himself. He's like, whoa, Paul, calm down, man. It's getting a little <laughs> aggressive already, but... So he goes on, uh, five and a half chapters of this, five and a half chapters of Paul kind of correcting them, reminding them of the gospel, reminding them of who Jesus is, reminding them that this covenant is no longer a covenant of you do this, you get this. It's you believe this, you get this. It's this covenant of love, this covenant of grace. And he lands on a very, very powerful scripture. I wanna focus on this today. In Galatians chapter six, verse nine, you've probably heard this. Uh, I don't think it's possible to hear it enough sometimes though. Galatians chapter six, verse nine, it says, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't give up. Don't give up. Um, It's interesting. I think, I don't know if you guys have ever done this before, but have you ever in prayer, like while you're praying and you're like praying the word or you're, you're praying to God and you're telling about what's going on in your situation and you're like, Oh, yeah, you literally know everything. I don't even know why I'm saying some of these things, actually. Uh, I actually had that happen this morning. I was just declaring the word and over certain circumstances, and, and I had that random thought again. I was like, oh, yeah, you, you actually know what's going on. You are God. And, uh, but I, even this morning, just, he just reminded me. He said, yeah, but my word also tells me, bring me in remembrance of my word. Bring me in remembrance of my word. I'll just say this. I think Maybe more than God needs to be reminded of his word, we need to be reminded of his word. We can sit here and read Galatians 6, 9. We can know it all, like the back of our hand. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. We can know that scripture, and yet every single one of us in this room, if we'll just be honest, there comes the pressure. Even if we think we're doing the right thing, it gets hard, it gets difficult, it doesn't go the way we thought it was gonna go, and we're like, deuces, I'm out. <laughs> Anybody else? This, it's almost like you just can't hear this, this word enough. And I wanna talk about three key points today uh, from this scripture that I think just, they, they need to be talked about, about. Again, this is not earth-shattering, groundbreaking news, if you will, but I think we need to be reminded of this today. But number one, what's right is not always what is easy. What's right is not always What's easy? The scripture says, don't grow weary, don't get tired, don't get fed up of doing the right thing. He wouldn't tell us, don't get tired of doing the right thing if it weren't possible to get tired, even if we're doing the right thing. And I think it can be confusing sometimes. And uh, there's, there's, there's these random truths that we find in tension in scripture because you can read Matthew chapter 11 where the Bible talks about uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
Well, by a show of hands, how many guys have been following Jesus the best you can, and it was anything but light and easy? It didn't feel light and easy. So I think we've got we've to think about some of these things and what we're actually saying. In fact, that prescription in Matthew chapter 11, I actually brought that up to the Lord not long ago, and I, I felt like he said to me, well, just be mindful of this, the language that I use. My yoke, what is a yoke? It's something that in a little carriage, horse and buggy situation, it was this piece of wood that went over the necks of the oxen. And I just felt like the Lord said to me, just so you know, the, the light and easy part has less to do with what you're doing and more to do with who you're doing it with. I don't know if you've ever tried to do something in your own power, and it can be very difficult. But when you tap into his power, when you tap into his strength, I can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. I think the light and easy oftentimes has more to do with who we're doing it with and not necessarily what we're doing. Because I'll just be honest with you, and I think you can see this in Scripture, every single person who did something significant for God had seasons of their life that were anything but light and anything but easy. Start with Jesus, Jesus himself. He never made a mistake. He lived a perfect life. He did everything that he was supposed to be, supposed to do. So Galatians 6, 9, don't grow weary in doing well. Jesus did well, did good all the time. That's all that he did. And yet you look at his life, and one of the first things that happened to him when he was called into ministry is the Bible says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I don't know about you, but wilderness tempted by the devil doesn't sound light and easy to me. One time Jesus was preaching to supposedly his peeps, like his closest of, closest of people, and in the middle of his message, all but 12 got up and walked out in the middle of his message. I'm sure that just felt so light and easy for him. You know? So for the next 30, uh, 30 minutes or so, please keep your seat. I just can't deal with that today. You know? uh, not easy. Paul, the apostle Paul, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, uh, uh, all this, all this cra- stone beaten, beaten, stone drug, beaten and stoned and drug out of the city limits, left for dead. They didn't just stone him until he was hurt. They stoned him until they thought he was dead. This is the Apostle Paul we're, we're, we're talking about. And I think it's important that we be really honest about the seasons of life that we're in, the things that we're going through, the things that we're doing, trying to follow God. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in situations where like, this is, this is not as easy as I thought this was going to be. This is not... This is not, this doesn't feel like, I think for me personally, um, you know, I've got, I've got three daughters. The, the area in my life personally that this seems to ring the most true, where I, I think I feel the pressure the most to stay the course is as it pertains to raising kids. I think it's one of the areas that I've just been really, really honest with you. I think the church in, in large part has failed the body of Christ. Well, I, let me say this way. I think the church has failed. I think church leaders have actually failed in this regard of making raising your kids the right way as big a deal as it really is. I think a lot of what we deal with oftentimes is because when raising kids got tough, parents just quit. Because I'm just gonna tell you, raising kids is no joke. Raising kids is no easy. The Bible says train up a child in the way that they should go. Training up a child in the way that they should go is extremely difficult, is almost never light, is almost never easy. In fact, sometimes it's just like, would you, can I just get like a week where just no drama, a week with just act like an angel for one week? Can I just get one week, you know? You go through these seasons, and to be quite honest with you, it's not like the world or culture is doing us any favors because the thing, you gotta remember this, the things of the world and the things of the spirit can't stand each other. They don't look anything alike. They don't sound anything alike. And the enemy is not sitting back hoping you have a nice and easy path to raising your kid up and training them up in the way that they should go. 
And I, and I think one of the most difficult things, if I'm just being honest, and you know, I was talking to a, a, one of the dads, or a dad in the, in the foyer after the first service, we were kind of telling some war stories. Uh, I think all of us, if we're being really honest, there'll be, there's moments uh, in our parenting careers that we wish we could just blot out. Like, yeah, let's just act like that didn't happen. In fact, the dad was telling me, he said, you know, the hardest thing to do sometimes is, you know, convincing your second, third, or fourth kid that like, hey, you know, you, just because that's what we did with the oldest, that, that doesn't mean we did it right or we're going to, you know, do this with you. You know, and, uh, we kind of joke because I sometimes, when one of my kids pulls that one, you know, my middle one, she'll say, well, Susanna did this or Susanna did that. And I was like, yeah, but we screwed her up. We're trying to get you right. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just to mess with them. <laughs> but sometimes that's kind of how it feels like. You look back and you're like, gosh, I really wish I wouldn't have done that. And I'll, I'll tell you the areas, and, and this is where I want to bring some, some encouragement or pour some courage into you. Uh, it can be really difficult when culture is telling you what is okay, Their friends are telling them what is okay. Other parents are trying to convince you what is okay. The Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Sometimes we gotta be reminded, the Spirit of the Lord and the Scriptures tell me which direction my kids should go, not the latest, greatest TV show, not what's popular in culture, especially raising girls. I'm gonna tell you right now, raising girls, it's like, and and we we don't talk about these things, so you look up one day and you're like, man, I cannot believe this is going on in the world. Like, well, maybe we need to talk about it, but it's like, it's, it's, it's tragic to me what's going on in, especially for young women as it pertains to clothing and what's actually okay for young girls to wear or not wear anymore. And it's interesting that culture is constantly pushing on you, well, this is fashionable. Well, if it's not modest, it's not scriptural. <laughs> we don't even talk, it's like, hey, that's old fashioned. I know, it's called the Bible. It was written a long time ago. <laughs> He's like, and, and there are things, and I'll be honest, as a, and I've, man, I've failed so many times. I didn't, I wasn't raised with girls. And so when I first had, I, I didn't have a lot of girls around, not even a lot of girl cousins. And even the girl cousins that were around wore boots and rode horses. I mean, it's like, so it was a, it was an interesting d- dynamic around how I was raised. And so, especially not having girls, man, I had no clue what I was doing, did so many things wrong. Uh, I, I even tried, because I was so afraid of girls and navigating girls and how to handle girls, I, I literally, early on, I even tried to use fear, and my daughters would talk about boys, and I'm like, yeah, bring them home, I need some target practice. It's like, you know, these little, <laughs> these little jokes that you make, you know, and, and, and thinking all of it's just lighthearted, but, um, you know, I, and I've told this story, I told some of it in the first service, but I mean, there were times where I made such drastic failures in that area where, I mean, my own daughter wouldn't even tell me when she had her first crush, you know, and I see Suzanne and Leanne over in the corner whispering about something, and I'm like, hey, what's, what's going on over here? Oh, nothing, we'll tell you later, and I'm like, no, no, I'm the man of this house, you will tell me now, you know, it's like, <laughs> but I, I remember this very vividly, it's one of those, probably the most painful moments in my, in, that I've gone through thus far in my parenting, where it was, I, I, Asked what was going on, they wouldn't tell me, and Suzanne Leanne said, hey, I'll, I'll tell you later. And the long and the short of it was, she had had a crush on this boy that she met at camp. And um, I said, well, why didn't she tell me? And she says, well, because every time you tell them, she brings up boys, you get all weird and say you're gonna shoot them or you're gonna put them in a pine box. Or It's like, and it just dawned on me that even my own fears and not knowing how to navigate certain things, I had told my daughter inadvertently, there are some things you can't say to me safely. And so I, I've been there, and I've done, I've done things wrong, and, and, I've, and I've, I've not navigated those situations appropriately. Those things are going to come and go. The last thing that we need to do, well, 
then you, on top of all the things that we're just dumb about, it's like sometimes it's the devil, sometimes it's your dumb, you know? <laughs> but on top of that, then you've got a culture that does not care about raising your kid up in the way that they should go. They don't want your kid, the, the enemy doesn't want your kid to fulfill God's plan for their life. And so we're, 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 we're navigating culture about, okay, when, you know, I remember, one, what was it, one of my kids one time came to me and was like, why, I just, I think it's dumb that I can't have Instagram. Everybody has Instagram. And I'm like, so you literally know everyone? Like, you literally know everyone? Like, you've talked to everyone and everyone has Instagram? You hate me, you know, it's like... No, there, there, there's pressure. There's going to be tension about, around those things. And again, it's not about, there's no fine line. I mean, and we get asked this a lot of questions. And sometimes as parents, because we don't want to do the hard work, or the, let me say it a different way. We don't want to do the intimate work of getting to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. We want someone to give us rigid guidelines. It's been the pattern, uh, human, it's, a, it's a pattern throughout human history. Hey, Moses, we don't want to know God. We just want to know what to do so we can be blessed. So if you could, go build a relationship with him up on the mountain and come back and tell us what, we wanted, what we're supposed to do. We don't want to know him. We just want to know what to do to make our lives easier. And oftentimes, that, that's what we want even with our parenting. We want to go to a class or we even want our pastors to say, okay, when, when, how old should my kid be before they get to today? How old should my kid be before they have Instagram? How old should my kid, should my kid, we, we want these rigid guidelines because we actually don't want to engage. We don't want to do the hard work of engaging intimately with the Holy Spirit where we know the voice of the shepherd. I don't, I don't know when your kid should or shouldn't have Instagram. I don't know when your kid should or shouldn't have their, a cell phone. I don't know those things, but what I do know is you do know. Like, what do you mean I know? <laughs> Like, I don't know. That's why I'm at church. I'm trying to figure this stuff out. You know, no, the Bible says train your kids up in the way that they should go. The, the underlying tone is, I will tell you what you need to know about your kid. He has the answers for those things. And yet culture is trying to say, no, let culture define. Let, let um, celebrities define. Let other parents and their convictions define. And, and, and I'm, I'm just going to give you a heads up if you don't already know this, if you've, and again, some of this is just, it's on parenting. And so it, you may say, well, I've already raised my kids. It, these are principles that work here. There's principles that work here. Oftentimes, if you, try to, if you try to make a hard line about a conviction that you have, it, can, it, it brings a sense of conviction and condemnation even at times to other parents. Well, it's easier for them to get you to lower your expectation than it is for them to raise theirs. So now all of a sudden, you've got not, not just the pressure of your own kids, am I hearing God, you're trying to get it right, but now you've got other parents trying to push on you because they also don't want to do the hard work either. They don't want to raise their standard either. Constantly being pushed upon. I, I'll never forget this. I had um, someone I really respected at the time, very, very much so, and it was our first kid. She was, uh, Suzanne was probably, I don't know, three, maybe four at the time, and um, she said, hey, I want to take Susanna on a, little, on a little afternoon movie date. I want to take her to see Hannah Montana. And at the time, we just didn't have a good feeling about our three- and four-year-old watching Hannah Montana. And this is before she came in like a wrecking ball. I mean, this was like, <laughs> this is Disney. And, um, and again, it's not, about, it's not about being judgmental or... I think sometimes we're so afraid about being judgmental to other people that we actually don't just parent. 
or we don't just talk about these things that are actually difficult things to navigate, but it's like, for the record, young ladies shouldn't be swinging around naked on wrecking balls. I know that's groundbreaking information. <laughs> and as a, as a father, again, we're talking about that was a decade between Hannah Montana and this, but I have to have the wisdom of the Lord to say, no, Lord, I don't, it, it may look all innocent now, but you tell me what my kids should and shouldn't be watching. You tell me where my kids' influences should or shouldn't be. Culture doesn't get to tell me that just because it made it on the Disney t- channel, most of what makes it on the Disney channel, <laughs> just because it makes it doesn't mean that's, that's okay. What's okay is defined by Holy Spirit. What's okay is defined by Scripture. What's okay is defined by spiritual family giving input into my life. We have to make our mind up that co- there are going to be c- culture. There's going to be, there's an enemy out there who, for the record, he doesn't, it was one of those parenting fail moments yesterday. I'm like, I said something to one of my kids and I won't call him out, but I said, I said like, yeah, the devil will use scripture. And they're like, the devil doesn't quote scripture. And I'm like, yeah, parenting fail one, but he'll quote it almost accurately. Or he'll take a scripture and he'll quote it slightly out of Context. He doesn't have the ability to create, so he tries to pervert. He tries to twist. That's where you get the word wicked. You ever heard of wicker, wicker furniture? It's that twisted vine. It's twisted. It's, not the, it's like a twisted version of the truth. He's constantly trying to twist the truth. Culture's trying to push on you what? To not stand your ground, to not do the right thing, which is why we have scriptures like Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. So when your kid is going crazy, you're trying to do the right thing. They're saying they'll never trust you ever again. And the other parents are going, oh, my God, I can't believe you won't let your kid come to my house. What's your problem? All these things... All these things, I'm so thankful we have Galatians 6, 9. Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get weary in well-doing because sometimes doing the right thing is exhausting. It's exhausting on your soul. It's exhausting to have to deal with that. And and you're gonna deal with all the insecurities and the things of like, Lord, I thought I was right. Am I right? Am I doing? It can get exhausting doing the right thing sometimes, especially when it comes to kids. Uh, let me call, scroll through. I'm going to start ranting about I can talk about parenting all day. But um, it, this, is a, this is one I actually had a lot of experience with. It can be exhausting confronting. It can be difficult confronting poor ethics in the workplace. I'll never forget when I, years ago I was working in the, in the oil and gas industry and I'd been hired to do some leadership development and consulting and some different stuff in this one company. And I remember, and of course everyone knew I was, um, it was interesting. I went to my first le- uh, manager's workshop and there was, I don't know, a hundred of us or something. And on the roster, which I wish they wouldn't have done this, but on the roster it had everybody's first and last name. And then when it got to my name, it was literally Pastor Braden. And, and I was like, well, that didn't really give me much of a chance <laughs> with some of these people, but they, they knew I was a pastor, but um, I'll never forget this. They, I had, I'd gotten this position, and this one particular person who held the position before, the, the, the position had grown, and so I, we were going to do the job together, and so we were dividing up who's going to do what in this new role, and, and I'll never forget this. They came to me that one day and said, hey, um, so I need to ask you a question. Um, this, you're going to see on your job description that we do this one report and this, we turn in this report to X, Y, Z. I just need you to know, like, we don't do that. 
And I was like, what do you mean you don't do that? And she said, well, we're supposed to report these numbers, but we don't even record those numbers, but we know they want these numbers, so we literally just make them up and send it in. I just need to know if you're okay with that. And I'm like, and, and to be quite honest with you, this job I'd gotten, it, it was a phenomenal job. I was making a lot of money, a lot of perks, a lot, a lot of things were going right, financially at least. And all of a sudden, here I am in the workplace, and I've got this person confronting me with, hey, this is what we all do. We all agree with this. This is the norm. You've got this great salary. You've got this great job. You've got all these perks. Are you okay with literally making something up in this report? Every single one of us in this room, you're gonna be confronted with things, if you haven't already, you will be, where will I hold the standard of integrity in the workplace or will I jeopardize money? Will I jeopardize safety for the sake of my integrity? Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. And I, I don't have time to go into, there's a whole other side of this thing as it pertains to, you know, Wisdom, Lord, give me the wisdom to walk out in integrity. This thing, it's like, it's like this particular boss or this particular person who said this to me. She was a woman. I don't think it would have went well as when she asked me that. I just went, Jezebel, we got a Jezebel in the house. Get her out. You know, it's like eh, probably a few other ways to handle this. You know, it's not easy confronting poor ethics in the workplace. It's not easy confronting situations with your own family. It's not easy. Some of these things that we're talking about when, you're, when, you're, when you've chosen to, you know, I, you've, some people go through seasons of life where it's like they come from an alcohol or drug uh, past and alcohol is just rampant in their family. And I, it's, it's actually crazy to watch the pressure on people the next time that when someone is going through a season where, hey, I'm, I won't touch a drop of alcohol. I won't, I won't touch the stuff. And they go back to one of the old parties or get around some of their friends. I'm watching the agony people have and saying, hey, I'm actually not drinking. You'd think that would be not that big of a deal. Or even when your friends, even if you're with your friends and maybe it's not an alcohol back, you, you don't have an issue or problem with alcohol, but the Lord's come to you and said, hey, I want you to go through a season. I don't want, I don't want you to even touch the stuff. And then the weird things you go through when you're out with your friends, you're hanging out with whatever, and you're like, hey, I'm actually not drinking. Why aren't you drinking? What's wrong with you? And all of a sudden, everybody else's guilty conscience starts making them try to get you to drink. (laughs) Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in doing the right thing. Don't grow weary in uncertain financial times. Don't get tired of doing the right things with your finances. Don't get tired of doing the right things. Don't get tired of tithing. I can't tell how many people they've, I, I did it for years. And, I, and there were times where I literally was like, okay, Lord, you know that whole scripture that you wrote about tithing? <laughs> about opening up the windows of heaven? Well, I'm pretty much certain that that window's stuck. Because <laughs> it has not opened in a long time. Like, how about some WD-40 on that sucker? <laughs> you know, It's not easy, especially when, Something doesn't go your way or something happens to your car or, you know, uh, you, you lose a job. Just things happen. Prices go up. Groceries go up. Little, it can be little things. And all of a sudden, for the first time in a long time, you're looking at that tithe check you write. And you're like, that's a pretty good-sized check I write every month. That's a pretty good-sized check. I could, there's a lot of things. You know what? I know what the Lord would want. He would want me to get out of debt first. That's what he would want. He would want me to get out of debt. And you know what? It's really not about 10%. It's about the heart. Anybody else? 
all the little things. And it's like, you, know, you can sit there. And before you, before you know it, it's like, you know what? Someone should be tithing to me, actually. I, um, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Two more things about this. One, doing the right thing is not always easy. What's easy is not always what's right. Second thing, fruit is seasonal and God's in charge of the seasons. Fruit is seasonal and God's in charge of the seasons. If it were up to us, every season would be fruit season. Every season. I can't tell you. Well, I'll say it another way. I would say that almost around in every situation where we're tempted to quit, the issue of the why we're so tempted to quit is because something hasn't happened when, keyword, when we thought it should happen. It's really about when. I had the Lord say this to me a couple of weeks ago and I was studying on some of this. He said, if you want, it was a, I wasn't even thinking about it, but he said, if you want to stop being disappointed, stop making appointments for me. If you want to stop being disappointed, Stop making appointments for me. I, I, I'm trying to think, but I, I don't know of a single scripture where, we're, where we have a promise that we can stand on, that we can have something when we think we're supposed to have it. But this scripture, what does the scripture, scripture say? Don't grow weary. Don't get tired of doing what is right for in due season. In due season. Did you know that one of the, I, I, I actually believe this. That phrase, in due season, is one of the most, trusting God with seasons is one of the most faithful things that you can do. When things don't happen when you think they're gonna happen. When, you, when, you, when, you're, when your kid, you've been believing God for their, your kid to come back to the Lord, whether it's an older kid or whatever, and you've been believing God and it's been a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and there's that disappointment. It's one of the hardest things to do to say, Lord, I trust you in due season. I will reap if I don't quit. In due season, the love of my life will show up. I'll meet the person that I'm gonna marry. In due season, I'm gonna have a kid. In due season, we're gonna get pregnant. In due season, I'm gonna have my own business. In due season, I'm gonna get that raise. In due season. Most of us get disappointed because we don't allow God to have control of the seasons. What's right's not always easy. Fruit is seasonal and God determines the seasons. And number three, best one, fruit is guaranteed if you don't quit. Fruit is guaranteed if you don't quit. What does the scripture say? Now, what does Braden say? What does Galatians 6, 9 say? You will reap. You will reap. You will reap if you don't quit. That's literally our only job is not to quit, not to give up not to grow weary in doing the right things. I wanna read you this scripture and I think it kind of brings the new covenant into this and we'll close right here in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death 
and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had a testimony and that he had pleased God. Now pay close attention to this, verse six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must, not maybe, maybe should, it'd be a good idea. If you're gonna come to him, you must believe that he is, that he is God, and what? That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? Isn't it refreshing? Isn't it, doesn't it take pressure off of you? Listen to what I'm about to say. My reward is not connected to my perfection. My reward is connected to my pursuit. He didn't say he is a rewarder of those who get it right every time. He is not a, he's a rewarder of what? Those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder. He rewards people. Reap, here's the people who reap. Those who say, you know what, Lord? I don't think I got it right that time, but I'm not gonna quit. I know I messed up this time, but I'm not gonna give up. I'm moving forward. I will reap in due season if I don't quit. Some of you, I think, are probably, I just get the sense all of a sudden that there are some people in here that you ha- the enemy has actually convinced you that there's this thing that you're wanting that you actually don't deserve it. And there's this one, I get the sense there's like this one sin that every time you start even daring to believe, daring to dream, dare to hope for this thing, he just dangles this, oh, really? You think you're worthy of this? You think you're worthy of this? Look at this. Look at this one thing. And I just feel like right now you need to say, Lord, or enemy, I'm not rewarded because of my perfection. I'm rewarded because of my pursuit and I'm not quitting. You can remind me of that as many times as you want to. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.